Last Sunday, I was honored to be the preacher and celebrant at one of the newest Episcopal churches in the entire church. It's a place called St. Nino's in Tbilisi, Georgia. And that's not the Georgia of which Atlanta is the capital, the U.S. state. That's Georgia, the former Soviet Republic, even though they hate hearing that, although it's part of our frame of reference, uh, on the Black Sea, just south of Russia, north of Turkey, um, all the way eight time zones away. And it was a tremendous and amazing experience in so many ways. First of all, just to see this group of people who have found something that they love and that feeds them within this tradition that we all love so much. Even though there aren't that many Episcopalians in Georgia, they are an amazing group. They gather Sunday after Sunday in an apartment. Once a month, a priest comes and celebrates Eucharist. And so for the month of August, it was my turn and my pleasure. It turned out I was the first priest who had come from the United States. There are other Episcopal churches in Europe, and they're on a cycle for going out to St. Nino's. But um, there were so many opportunities to uh, connect with people. And obviously, the first thing I did was I said, I'm bringing greetings from the people of All Saints Church in Brooklyn. So now we're famous not only in Park Slope, but also in the Republic of Georgia. All Saints is expanding its reach. I was in Georgia for 10 days, and uh, even though it's a country about the size of West Virginia, it has a tremendous amount of diversity within it. And I had the opportunity to see all different types of things. It's a place that has many different uh, climates and natural features. And one of the most amazing things about it is it's very mountainous and hilly. On Monday of this week, I found myself in a car with uh, one of All Saints' own parishioners, David Shubladze. He's originally from Georgia, and he was visiting for the first time since he left Georgia eight years ago. He's there right now. And David had arranged to take me to a city called Vardzia. It's a place that was built in the Middle Ages in a cave. So basically there are these caves, it's a cave city on the side of a cliff. And you kind of look up and you see all these holes and people have had their homes in there. Um, and also there was a monastery there and a church that was just carved right out of the rock. And the church has frescoes from the 12th century going back all that time. Well, we were supposed to leave uh, pretty early in the morning, but our driver was late. And once the driver picked us up, who was a good friend of David's, he then picked up the other person named Toma, who is in charge of St. Nino's. Okay, all those details out of the way. All this is to say, we were in the car late, and a discussion erupted among the people in the car about this very passage of scripture that we heard today from the gospel. And the discussion was what the word is that Jesus tells Peter he's founding his church on. And I said rock, because you know, that's what it says in the original Greek, rock, right? No, rock is an English word. It's a translation. Um, and in Georgian, it turns out that their word for it isn't rock. The word is cliff. Peter, you are the cliff on which I will build my church. 
Now think for a second, if you've heard this passage of Scripture all your life, how differently you would interpret it if instead of rock, you heard the word cliff. Now what do you think about when you think about a cliff? Well, it's not exactly stable. It kind of looks like this. If you're building a church on it, the church is going to have to hold on for dear life because there's going to be a rock slide at any time, and it's just going to fall right down into the valley. And in that sense, wow, it's brilliant, because that's really a lot of what the church feels like it is, isn't it? If Jesus is telling Peter that Peter is the cliff on which Jesus is building his church, then our sense of the church is something very different. I understood more as I saw Georgia why they would say that the church is built on a cliff. And for one, I just told you that this discussion happened on the way to see this cave city in which literally they had built a church into a cliff. And you have to climb all the way up and then walk through this maze of caves to get to this amazingly sacred place. But another thing that one sees in Georgia is tons and tons of churches that are built right on the top of mountains. There's a beautiful one I got to visit in a place called Kazbegi, which is in the north of the country. It's very famous and it's been photographed a lot. It was built in the Middle Ages on top of a mountain. And the understanding of it of the reason why you would build a church on top of a mountain cliff like that is because the church itself is an extension of the mountain. It's like when you put your Christmas tree up and you look at it and you think, oh, it's just missing one thing. And then you put your Christmas tree topper on top of it just to crown the whole tree. That's what those churches built on cliffs look like. And it's intentional because that is the Georgian understanding of what the church is. The mountain is God's perfect creation. The cliff is more beautiful than anything human beings could possibly make. And so our only response is to try to put something on top of it, to perfect it for God's sake and for ours. It's a very different understanding of what the church is. When we hear that Peter is the rock on which Jesus builds his church, we think of stability, something that's going to last forever, a solid foundation. But of course, that's not who Peter was in the gospel, is it? Peter is the great denier, the one who ran away from Jesus in his most important moment. He denied Jesus three times before the cock crowed. And after that, whether out of a feeling of guilt or because he had gained some spiritual understanding from that experience right after the crucifixion, Peter went on to lead a life of spreading the gospel and was eventually crucified himself for it. But along the way, he made a lot of mistakes. Preachers oftentimes try to point out this type of rock that Peter was, kind of imperfect, porous, maybe not the best foundation, something more like sandstone than granite. But think about Peter instead as the cliff that God founds God's church on. And all of a sudden you see something slightly different. 
The church built on a cliff is a vision of the glory that God wants the church to be, the very thing that we are. It is the crowning glory of all that is good about God's creation. It is a beacon set on top of a mountaintop, shining down God's love to the people in the valley below. And even more than that, if a church is built on a cliff, it is a place that God's people can go and have a foretaste of the heavenly banquet. If your church is perched on top of a cliff, then it feels almost like you have one foot on earth and one foot in heaven, just ready to ascend yourself. What if church was built on a cliff? What if Jesus calls us to be rock climbers, to go all the way up to the top so that we can dwell within that holy place that he himself has founded? Well, another thing I learned about Georgia when I was there is that a lot of people are pretty angry at the church. Now, I don't have a personal stake in this game, that's for sure. I, the dominant church in Georgia is the Georgian Orthodox Church, and I certainly personally have nothing against them. But the number of stories that people told, the anger at the corruption, the way that the church makes people feel guilty and bad about themselves, the way it deals with money and property, the way it tries to push out other people of different faiths, there is a tremendous amount of disappointment in the church. And when people see those buildings perched on top of a cliff, it's not exactly a positive association that they have with the people who are inhabiting the church today. But in that sense, the Georgian church, to my mind, is pretty similar to the American church. You probably know, and it's been said from this pulpit before, that the fastest growing religious group in America is the nuns, not the people committing themselves to a religious life in a monastery, but N-O-N-E, people who claim no religion whatsoever. And the reason why young people especially are turning away from religion is pretty obvious. Because so much of what the church is in 21st century America has almost nothing to do with the gospel whatsoever. Rather, it's a sort of tribal identity. People saying, I'm Christian and you are not. Or a set of rules that we're supposed to follow. But when you read the gospel, none of that is anything that Jesus is preaching. Jesus preaches a radical transformation of the heart, a completely different way of seeing the world and your own place in it. He tells us that God loves every single one of us, and that when we're looking for some sort of reason for being in the world, all we have to do is love God and love every other person in our lives. It's really quite simple. And it has nothing to do at all with guilt and shame or tribalism or saying, I'm this and you're not that. No. All of those things come from somewhere else, not the gospel. And yet, 
Americans, just like Georgians, can be blamed, can't be blamed for thinking that that's actually what Jesus was talking about. Because when you hear the messages coming from the dominant Christian voices in this country, what you mostly hear is condemnation, negative feelings and emotions, getting people feeling bad about themselves, they've done something wrong. What if, instead, we thought of church as something built on top of a cliff, a beautiful beacon of God's love, a place where people came to feel loved, to feel the overwhelming awe of God's beauty in the world? That's what Jesus built his church on. I was so happy to be able to take the love that comes from this place halfway around the world to another group of Episcopalians last Sunday. I was so pleased to be able to tell them about what All Saints is like, and then to be able to come back and tell you what St. Nino's is like. In so many ways, it's a place built on a cliff, small, precariously hanging on against the odds. Many, if not most, of the members of St. Nino's identify as LGBTQ people. And that's a tough thing in Georgia, a place that is pretty homophobic and transphobic. In 2021, two summers ago, the Tbilisi Pride celebration was canceled because the Orthodox Church with help from American evangelicals, had organized an angry mob to attack them. Many of the members of St. Nino's were themselves attacked, some of them injured. The offices of Tbilisi Pride were broken into and vandalized. Ever since then, St. Nino's went from a Christian community that was worshiping in public to one that you have to go through a couple security measures in order to get to. And yet, their faith brings them together. They can feel how they are standing on top of a cliff. If they look down or have any fear, it's very possible that the whole thing will simply fall apart. You can imagine the stress of being a part of that community. And so the reason that folks come is because they're drawn by something outside of themselves. They are drawn by God's love and the power of the Holy Spirit to heal and knit together people who are called by God to be holy community. It's that spirit that makes it a church, even if that church is clinging to a cliffside. I'm so proud and happy to have been able to witness this. But I'm even prouder to be the rector of this community. Because I think that when we are at our best, we look like a church on top of a cliffside. I think that when we truly are focused on God's love, which we do week after week, day after day, then we are able to radiate that love out into the community and into the world and into our lives. To be that beautiful church on top of a mountaintop, the crowning glory 
of God's creation. And by God's grace, all saints will continue to do this in the world. So friends, we are the church. We are Jesus' church, the one that he has built upon a cliff. May we continue to honor him through the grace that he himself has given us, to that high calling to which he has called us of being his church. Amen.